Well, good morning, everyone. It is, it is good to see a, a larger group of people out there looking back at me than we've had for quite some time. Welcome, uh, new and returning students, and uh, special welcome to the Fromm family, uh, extended relatives. Uh, it was good to be able to celebrate with uh, Len and Millie yesterday afternoon. Uh, if there are any more kids that uh, want to go to the children's church, little ones, certainly you can make your way there. Uh, there are some tables at the back here too if, if older kids want to stay, but uh, maybe need a little something to do to keep them occupied. <clears throat> As we've already kind of talked about, we're, we're wrapping up the end of Cairnport Community Church as we know it. Uh, this will be our, our last service in this spot. Uh, college registration will be set up by next weekend, and uh, we'll provide some details a little later about what exactly it is that we're going to be doing. But uh, as we prayed, the Lord is doing a mighty work. Um, sometimes, sometimes I think we, we say things like, you know, I, it would, it would, uh, I'd believe or I'd have more faith if, if I could see a miracle. I, I think maybe we have been seeing a miracle, and, and we will continue to see a miracle as as two congregations come together and become one. And as well, uh, this is the last sermon series in our Psalms of Summer series on the topic of the Lord, our rock. If you want to open your Bibles to Psalm 144, we'll read that in just a few minutes. But to start off, have you ever noticed that it, it seems that there's kind of a lack of, of creativity in kind of mainstream media, think especially of, of films. I don't know, some of you might be, I don't care about films, and that's fine. Uh, but it seems that some things have kind of gotten stuck in a never-ending rut, like this whole Marvel Cinematic Universe where it's just, we just keep churning out action films, superhero stuff. Seems like every month they come out with another one. But you know what I mean. It's, ex- it's ex- if, as if studio executives just kind of sit around their big fancy offices saying to one another, you know what the public needs? How about we remake The Lion King? Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, what else? Why don't we do the same thing with Aladdin and make that into a live act? Yeah, double check. How about Toy Story? Let's go for Toy Story 4. Yeah, triple check. You know what else we could do? We could make some Star Wars spin-offs that everyone knows they will hate, and yet they'll still go and pay like eight bucks at least to go see them. Yeah, let's do that. How about another Terminator movie? How about another Rambo movie? How about another Frozen movie? How about Charlie's Angels, which is a sequel to a movie that was a reboot of a show from the 70s? Yeah, let's do that. How about another Jumanji movie? Why not? And, and I say all that because the psalm that we're going to be looking at today, uh, th- this idea of recycling material from previous stuff, it, it, it actually isn't a new thing. Uh, psalm 144 is very similar in a lot of ways, kind of a condensed and redone version of Psalm 18, which is the psalm we started on for this series. I've kind of mentioned too, more than once, that I feel as though I've done this series in the book of Psalms and uh, on the topic of the Lord our Rock, that I only really have one sermon and it kind of goes like this, we can trust that the Lord is our rock no matter what we face because he's already proven that he is our rock by taking care of the worst problems that we had, our, our sin and our alienation from God. And if he's done that, we can trust that he will take care of us no matter what we face now. 
But even the Psalms, like I said, they start, they, there's some repetition. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 are pretty much the exact same. If you don't believe me, you, you can look that up. That's the one that says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It almost gets repeated word for word twice in the book. And as I said, as I read Psalm, uh, Psalm 144, really kind of, it kind of began to sound a lot like, a lot like Psalm 18, which, which works because it's where we, it's where we began this series. And so we'll kind of do a look back and, and look ahead thing. So I would invite you to turn to Psalm 144 if you haven't already. And as we typically do, if, if you're able to do so, I'd encourage you to stand as we hear our sermon text for today in, in out of respect for God's word and out of, out of reverence for it. Psalm 144 of David. Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp, I will play to you, who gives victory to kings, who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners, whose mouth speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May our sons in their youth be like plants full-grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. This is God's word. You may have a seat. So given that we're kind of in this transitional time and that this has been a summer sermon series where people come and people go and uh, some of you have been away on on vacations or volunteering at camp, I'll just kind of recap where we were in in Psalm 18 if you weren't here back then when we looked at that psalm. Because there are a lot of word-for-word or very close, almost word-for-word parallels between these two psalms that aren't phrases that aren't used anywhere else. So the the language of trains my hands for war. Slightly different wording, but similar enough to be noteworthy as uh, the only two uses of this phrase. The way the psalm opens with that catalog of titles for God. uh, Rock, stronghold, shield, deliverer, etc. Bow your heavens and come down. I've always assumed it was bow as in kneel rather than bow as in archery, but it could actually be either one because the Hebrew word just means bend, so it could refer to bending a bow or, or... bending the knee. Um, but it's a unique expression that we only find in these, these two psalms. Lightning, arrows, scatter the enemies. Again, a, a phrase that's only used in these two passages. Strong word picture and storm imagery used to describe when God shows up and acts in might. 
scatters David's enemies. Uh, the language of being delivered from many waters is there in both Psalms. David d- describes his deliverance as being pulled up out of many waters. And you might have remembered in our discussion of Psalm 18, it's a picture of being rescued from chaos in the Hebrew scriptures. This idea of many waters or deep waters often points back to Genesis and the, the watery chaos that the land and the world uh, was made from, that God subdued. But it's always, it's always there. It's always kind of lurking in the background as a picture of, of things that are not good and are not of God, ready to break out. There's a lot of similar phrases, all that to say. We don't know the, the history or the prehistory of these psalms. We don't exactly know how they were edited or how they were used in Israel's worship. Scholars like to speculate on that stuff. We don't exactly know even what they sounded like when they were, when they were sung, which they would have been. But I do, I, I do think it's worth pointing out that the idea of taking something that is already existing and reworking it and making something new out isn't, that's not a new idea. One, one of the best analogies I could kind of come up with for this is Many of us will know the, the original version of the hymn Amazing Grace. But then more recently, we had a version that Chris Tomlin kind of reworked and added a little chorus to uh, the My Chains Are Gone chorus. You might know that. I, I think David kind of was doing the same thing in the book of Psalms too, taking an old hymn, refreshing it a bit, adding a little bit to it, making a new thing. So let's look at uh, the contents of this psalm kind of go through it as we typically do chunk by chunk so it opens with uh, blessed be the Lord and there's a lot of attributes given for the Lord but here's the question what does it mean to to bless the Lord we all kind of get the idea of what it means for the Lord to bless us I think we understand that that means the Lord does something that we think is good or, or advantageous often something that we don't exactly deserve, but the Lord does for us anyhow. Blessing us with a good health or with a job or help to pay the bills, a good friend who is there in time of need. We speak of all of these things as a blessing from the Lord. All things that we don't necessarily deserve, but the Lord graciously gives us these gifts anyhow. And all of those are legitimate ways to use the term bless. In fact, at the end of this psalm, we see the word bless be used in this precise way of things that the Lord does for his people and good gifts that he gives them. But that doesn't answer the question, what does it mean to, for us to bless the Lord, for the blessing to run the other way? Because we don't provide God with anything that he lacks. We can't give him a gift that he doesn't deserve. This is imperfect, of course, but I think it's something like this. When we speak about God blessing us, we describe him giving out of his all-sufficiency and providing for some need or lack we have, even though we don't truly deserve it. However, when we speak about blessing God, we describe our efforts, insufficient as they are, to give him not what he lacks— but what he does truly deserve and what he truly is worthy of. Right? Our thanksgiving, our praise, our worship, all the best that we can possibly offer. And as we quickly see, that's exactly what David does. He proclaims back to God who God is and how good God has been to him. God is his steadfast love, his fortress, his deliverer, his shield. 
And as we looked at back in Psalm 18, these are all pictures of what it means that God is his and our rock. Strong, reliable, there in in times of uncertainty, strong in times of threat, whatever that might look like. And let's remember that while this might seem like just more of the same old, same old, yeah, we've seen this time and time again in the book of Psalms, let's not just turn off our ears or our brains, right? Unlike movie studio executives that might just want to keep recycling the same old ideas because they know we're suckers and we'll just keep paying money and they'll get rich off of it. That's not why God or the writers of scripture that he inspired keep saying the same things. It's because those things that scripture keeps telling us are the things that actually matter and they're worth saying again and again and again because they are truth. They are fundamental truths. And also they have to keep saying them again and again and again because frequently I think we're, we're slow to actually get it. And so God has to keep telling us and the writers of scripture have to keep reminding us these things are true. These things are worthy of you to remember over and over. As if to underscore how amazing God is, David puts forward the, the more or less rhetorical question, what is man that you pay attention to him? He repeats it kind of twice. This is also a recycled line from an earlier psalm, Psalm 8. Hebrew words are slightly different, but the overall form is the same. What is man? What are any of us? When seen in the light of the fact that God is all-powerful and that he uses that power on our behalf to do good to us that we do not deserve, the only correct response is one of awe and amazement and humility before a God who acts in those ways. Psalm 18 goes into a lot more epic detail around the storm imagery, uh, but we do get a little bit of it in, in this psalm. God shows up in deliverance and it uses the same, the same language, right? David talks about how God shows up in the, this storm and, and sends out his his lightning or his arrows, which are the same thing. It's a picture, it's a metaphor of, of God showing up and routing his enemies and scattering them and giving him victory. Now, maybe we don't face literal enemies that we can just go fight against. That might be really scary. On the other hand, it might be easier if we could just fight and uh, deal with some of the things we face. But the truth is, we face a complicated brew of all kinds of things that we face in life. That The pain of living in, in a broken and dysfunctional world, right? Sickness, loss. You, you can't just take up arms and go fight sickness and loss. It doesn't work that way. It's not a literal enemy fighting against you in, in that sense. People who hurt us intentionally. People who hurt us unintentionally. Dreams that never materialize. Financial pressures. Regrets. Those are all things that we face in life and they are enemies, but we can't fight against them with, with bows or with swords. But we can trust, at least I hope we can, that this same God who shows up in power and might, thundering and flashing forth lightning, is still the same God we worship today. At least I hope that we can trust that. I hope that we can take that on board and say that, yes, that is still true, even if it doesn't look exactly the same. Like I said, God showing up might not look like a a good old-fashioned enemy smiting, like it looked like back in the book of Judges or Joshua. 
It might not look like hail and fire obliterating the most powerful nation the world has ever known, like it did in the book of Exodus. But then again, God bending the heavens and coming down didn't always look like like those things, even in Bible times. If you continue reading that story, you'll find that God God bending the heavens and coming down, when, when it really and truly did happen climactically, it didn't look like that at all. It, it looked like it looked like a teenage girl cradling a newborn infant amongst barnyard animals. That's what it looked like when God ultimately did bend his heavens, rip through the space-time continuum, or however you want to fathom that, that the immortal, unchanging God became a man, became a baby. Boggles the mind. Beggar's description. So we're right to pray that God would show up dramatically in whatever we face, but as we do, as we do, let's keep coming back to this story and situate our lives within it. God has already bowed the heavens and come down in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. A lot of people missed it the first time, too. But there will be no mistaking it on that great day when he does it finally. And that's our hope that we can continue looking forward to. David's response here is to sing a new song to the Lord, which is interesting because so far he's just been singing an old song to the Lord. But I digress. Of course, some of, some of us don't like this. We get a little bit nervous when the worship leader, you know, strums, strums a chord and lets it ring out. And he says, this next song might be a new one to most of you. And you're like, oh no, not again. We had one of those last week and I didn't like it and I'm not going to like this one. Some of you might still find the move away from hymn books to words on a screen to be a little bit hard for that matter. It's natural that our our place of worship, we we want this to be a a safe and and secure place, a place where things are familiar. After all, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? But the way that we worship him isn't. And even King David recognized that when the Lord is doing things, when he reveals himself in some fresh way, or we catch a glimpse somehow of of some new thing that he's doing, or understand some new aspect of his character, it's right and proper to worship him in a new way, in a fresh way. And that's what David did here. It's only right that when God does something original in our midst, that our response should also be original. As I said, today we finish our series in the book of Psalms. Next Sunday, we'll, we'll, well, we'll figure out what exactly we're doing, but it will be a unique Sunday in any case uh, to mark the official end of Karenport Community Church as one of two congregations and to transition into one congregation on this campus as one unified church. If we want to look, if we want to see God doing something new and original, we don't have very far to look. You know, I'm just going to go completely off script here and say, you know, as, as I began to try to help our, our congregation, our church leadership walk in through this journey, uh, picked up some books and listened to podcasts and, and whatnot, read some articles on, on church mergers and it had different, those, they all have different categories of, of how church mergers work. And I remember the one that it was said something about um, 
You know, where there'd been a church divide, that one type of church merger is a church divide that actually comes back together. Uh, and they're like, this happens sometimes, but uh, just moving on, right? The, 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 the sort of thing that, that we're going to be doing is, is an amazing thing. It's a work of God. It's not something that, that typically happens. And that's just an amazing thing. It's a thing that, that we need to see as the Lord's great work in our midst. And I know there, at least I haven't heard any audible voices or flashes of lightning from heaven or anything like that. But I don't think it's a stretch to say that if we want to see an instance of God bowing the heavens and coming down, we might actually be living in the very midst of that, in what he's doing among us. Again, no, no bright, shiny lights, no audible voices, no thunder and lightning, I mean, other than what's typical for Saskatchewan in, in a summer. But I think we would be fools, blind, if we didn't see the Lord has done and is doing a mighty work here. If you were here when we looked at Psalm 18, you'll remember that we wrestled through some of David's violent language in that psalm about him, you know, really not just defeating his enemies, but, but smiting them, crushing them, obliterating them. It can be a little bit uncomfortable. And while we might have side discussions about just war and so forth, one of the things we looked at was the Apostle Paul's statement that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of wickedness. And I think I would also be foolish and, and short-sighted not to say that I think this is a reality we also have to keep in mind as we look at bringing our two congregations together. Right alongside the clear leading of the Lord that this is the right thing for us to do. And I think it's important for me to warn us all that spiritual opposition is, is likely, right? Our enemy would greatly prefer that we didn't do this. Our enemy prefers any time when Christians can be divided rather than united. Our, our enemy would greatly prefer if we got fixated on our personal preferences and side issues and, and little things that we don't like or that bother us rather than focusing on the bigger picture of what it is that he's trying to do, what the Lord is trying to do in our midst. And if we do come together, I believe our enemy would, of course, much prefer that we be ineffective rather than accomplishing something for God's kingdom. All that to say, let's be aware of that. Let's not be afraid of that. Let's not get too wrapped up in that. But awareness is good. Praying toward that end for God's protection is important. Right? So be on your guard. Be on your guard against the seed of bitterness or complaining or gossip, self-centeredness, judgmental attitude. Don't, don't give any of those things a foothold in these next weeks as we look to bring our congregations together. Don't open the door even a little bit to those things. I studied Hebrew in college, of course, as you do for a biblical studies degree. I even majored in Old Testament in, in seminary. I'm certainly not an expert, however, in, in the, the fine nuances of how Hebrew poetry works. In fact, probably anybody that tells you they're an expert probably still has a lot of learning to do. It, it's difficult. What I do suspect, however, is that the final portion of this psalm, verses 12 to 15, that that is actually the new song that David said he was going to sing back in about verse 9. Uh, when he said he was going to sing a new song, that he actually did that. He actually wrote it down and, and made it part of this. 
because here the kind of obvious borrowing from Psalm 18 kind of quits, it drops away, and we get something quite different. We get a, a vision for the future of God's people. We get a picture of what life could look like, especially for the next generation of God's people going forward. Now, I, I think I would be remiss if I did not point out at, at this time that my, my good friend and mentor, Ken Ginter, would want us all to have a finger or a bookmark in Deuteronomy chapter 28 as, as we look to the end of this psalm. Because it gives us a picture of life under God's rule and a future for God's people. There's three things here. Strong sons and daughters. The first picture of the good life has to do with, with strong sons and daughters. The sons are compared to plants or saplings that grow quickly to full size. The daughters are described as pillars for a palace, specifically corner pillars. But again, a picture of strength, but also a picture of beauty, since pillars in ancient architecture frequently served an aesthetic as well as just a purely architectural purpose. All that to say, the good life for God's people sees the next generation as strong and healthy and vigorous. The second thing in this vision for the future is, has to do with livestock, provisions. God's people have enough in this preferred future. The grain bins and the barns are full of crops stored up for winter and even beyond. The sheep and the cattle are healthy, bearing young, which of course is the basis of an agrarian economy. And the third thing is peace. The Hebrew, which the ESV takes to mean uh, miscarriage here, is literally just breaking through. And so some translations and some scholars uh, put that with the animals and, and look at it as miscarriage. Some translations put that with the next part and, and look at it as breaking through the wall. Uh, invaders, in other words. In any case, that does make a certain amount of sense, given that the next line is about peace and quiet in the streets, rather than battle or uprising, crying out. These things are pictures throughout the scriptures of what the good life looked like for ancient Israel. Strong and healthy sons and daughters, agricultural success, deliverance from enemies. That's more or less what success looks like in a pre-industrial agrarian economy. So given that our context is rather different than ancient Israel's, what does our preferred future look like? What does living under God's blessing look for, like for us as we come together to form a unified congregation in this community? Well, let's start with peace. Thankfully, our, our two-congregation reality never... There wasn't hatred there. There wasn't crying out or fighting in the streets. Nevertheless, I think many of us will recognize that there could be personal issues, style issues, interpretation of scripture issues that have caused tension, might cause tension in the future. But even as we work through these, and we will, we must make every effort to pursue genuine unity where what we have in Christ and what he's done for us is bigger than any of those things. Our preferred future is one body living under the reign of Jesus, loving him and loving one another. Right? Uh, if you read the book of Revelation and what, what this preferred future ultimately looks like, we're, 
Everybody is together. Every tribe and tongue and nation and language is all together in one great body worshiping the Lord together. together. And I think that is something that we should look at making as much of a reality now as we possibly can. Now the prosperity one, that can be a tricky one, right? We've We've all seen too many slick preachers on TV or the internet, and they've got their TV shows, and they've got their private jets promising you a little prosperity if you help them to have a lot of prosperity, mega prosperity. Now, let's set that aside. I I don't think that any of our church leaders are expecting private jets or mansions or any such thing. I don't think it's out of line to long for a future where our church has the funding to fulfill the ministries that we believe the Lord is calling us to. Our situation here is somewhat unique in this community. We need to and will continue to be wise stewards of the church's finances. But can can we picture a future where, where we have enough and where we have more than enough to do the ministry of discipling our children and youth, caring for those in need, equipping our leaders and reaching the lost, right? Our perfumed future is having the resources we need to do the ministry we're called to. And finally, the next generation is key. This community was founded on and it continues to be based around and exist for the training of young men and women to love Jesus and serve his kingdom. We want our sons and daughters in our church family be men and women of faith who are equipped for, for service, to go out from here and be witnesses for Jesus in their workplaces, to serve faithfully in local church contexts, to, take, to, to raise up families that will love Jesus, to take the message of Jesus and his gospel out from this land to the far corners of the earth, right? We want, we long for the next generation, the sons and daughters of our faith, be strong for the work that the Lord has called him, called them to do. Our preferred future is coming alongside and raising up a new generation who will love the Lord and will serve him faithfully. But here's the thing about a vision for a future together as a community. It's not the lottery. And you're sitting there going, what? In other words, it's not something we can get with just a little small token buy-in and then a whole lot of hoping and luck that it's going to magically happen. It's just going to fall into our laps. Right? That's, that's how the lottery works. But if you know the statistics, you've got a better chance, literally, of getting struck by lightning than winning the lottery. The future that we're called to is God's work, but it's also our work. We can't just give a little token nod of acceptance, yes, good idea, I approve, and then expect that magically it's just somehow going to happen. It's just going to appear in our midst and everything will be wonderful. So as I close, I want us to look at one last picture of the Lord is our rock. And we heard this scripture read earlier in our service. I'm just going to read it again for us because it paints a wonderful picture of the fact that the Lord is our rock but then there's also work for us to do. So I'll read it again from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. 
For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So we get this picture of of the Lord, Jesus Christ, our rock, our foundation. Then we also get the encouragement to take the foundation that, that is Christ and build upon it. To take what he's given us in faithfulness, in obedience, to keep doing the work that he's called us to do. Our Lord is our rock. As we've looked at throughout all these psalms, he's our rock, he's our shelter in times of trials or difficulties. We've seen scripture after scripture testify to this reality that he's trustworthy no matter what we face. In addition to that, or even because of that, he is also our foundation for all we do and all we do together in life and ministry. So as we close this series on the book of Psalms together, and as we prepare to close a major chapter in the life of this congregation, as we've known it for quite some time, this is what's before us. The Lord is our foundation and our rock, and he calls us to take that foundation and build upon it for his kingdom. So if we've caught a glimpse of what our future together under God's blessing might look like, and I hope we have as we just briefly unpack the last verses in that psalm. If that's true, if it's true that the Lord is our rock and our foundation upon which we can build, then the question is, how are we going to build and with what? Specifically, the question is, are we willing? Right? We, we, we've answered some questions to that regard already, right? As we uh, dedicated a child and dedicated ourselves so I would ask us again, as, as we close and as we go from here and as we think about it, as we seek the Lord in these next days, are we willing to give it the best that we possibly have and the best that we can in these next days to be the church that the Lord is calling us to be, to be the family of faith that he's calling us to be in this community? I hope and pray that our answer to that question is yes. Let us pray.